buffoons of history. In the year 1087, William Rufus became king of England. Rufus has a reputation as a debauched king who put his own pleasure before the good of the country. Truly a buffoon of history. Excuse me, I'm William Rufus, or at least the ghost of William Rufus, and I present some of those statements. Well, you're welcome to your opinion, but it's too late now to change the script, and listeners will be the judge of your buffoonery. Now, I've been given the role of narrator for this episode. Now, where's the script? Be a good chap and pass me the vellum, would you? Right. It was the year 1066. No, no, I should be saying this. I was assured as the ghost of William Rufus, I would be the main narrator. Oh, very well. Um, how, how about a job, show? We'll do the narration together, each bringing our different perspectives. You as a ghost and former human being, me as a living narrator and professional actor. You can take over after your death at the moment you actually become a ghost. Well, I suppose that makes sense. Perfect. So, where were we? So, should we do it together? Yes. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Buffoons of, of History. Loosely based upon the facts, famous for their silly acts. Listen to me as I tell to thee, tales of the Buffoons of History. A ridiculous beyond comprehension, definitely worth a mention. Listen to me as I tell to thee, tales of the buffoons of history, tales of the buffoons of history. Hello, the ghost of King William Rufus here. Now don't pay too much attention to that other narrator, William Rufus. William Rufus, you may have heard of that name, but then again you might not, due to the deficiencies of the modern history curriculum, with its emphasis on skills rather than core knowledge and chronology. Anyway, I'm a ghost, and I have been ever since my untimely demise in the year 1100. I was only in my forties, stopped in my tracks, cut down in my prime, like a magnificent birch tree chopped down prematurely, even before my leaves bore fruit. Listen, we agreed I would be the first narrator, so be a good chap and shut up, would you? And anyway, what you just said about fruit-bearing birch trees is incorrect nonsense. Oh, Monty Don, when I want your advice, I'll ask for it. Oh, let's get on with it. Now, it was the year 1066, and the last Anglo-Saxon King Harold was struck down in battle at Hastings. Ow! That was my eye! It really hurt. Subsequently, Harold died from his injuries, and William, Duke of Normandy, became King of all England. Excuse me, that was my dad, and he didn't explain that bit clearly. I'd like more emphasis on my relationship with him. Listen, I thought you agreed to leave off the ghost narrator bit until you died. Now shut up and leave it to me. William was the father of several children, including Rufus. Yes, that's right. I said shut up. Oh, sorry. Having seized all the available land in England, for reasons that are not entirely clear, he became known as William the Conqueror. He ruled for many years, but was a troubled man because he did not know which of his four sons he should choose to be his heir to the crown of England. Who should it be? Richard, Robert, William or Henry? (laughs) William's second son, Richard died mysteriously in a hunting accident in 1070. Robert, what do you know about what happened to Richard? 
Well, he always was clumsy, all fingers and thumbs, and he, he had a little accident with a tree. Well, I am not satisfied, and I want my judges to undertake a root and branch review of what happened in that forest. What, you mean we should dig up all the trees in the forest looking for clues? Yes. But you've only just planted all those trees. It's a new forest. Isn't that a bit drastic? Maybe. And this was the origin of the well-known phrase root and branch review, meaning a thorough investigation. Father, how dare you? Are you accusing me of treason? That is to say, an illegal revolt against the monarchy involving the use of trees? Yes, I suppose I am. I accuse you of the crime of treason. And this was the origin of the word treason. Guards, seize him! Robert was taken and imprisoned, but eventually released due to a lack of evidence. The review into the death of Richard proved inconclusive, but the conqueror continued to mistrust his eldest son. Much to the king's annoyance, Robert could sometimes be heard humming a certain song from a well-known Disney musical involving lions struggling for authority. Damn that boy! So he just can't wait to be king. Well, we'll see about that. He may have to wait a long time. Father, Father, I think it's time you stepped aside and let me rule the realm. You could take up some new hobbies, more time for hunting in that new forest of yours. Maybe join the U3A. Oh, clear off, Robert. Enough of your cheek. Be off with you. Well, I know where I'm not welcome. I'm out of here. Hmm. I might just choose one of those other boys to be the next king. I rather like young Rufus. Loyal, although a little stupid. Ghost of Rufus here. I'd like to put on record that I resent being called stupid. Well, you're not exactly Mensa material, are you, Rufus? And have we agreed that you would only start narrating until after you'd actually become a ghost? <sighs> now, to continue. The Conqueror literally belittled Robert, which was easy because he was quite little and small of stature. He called him court hose. Now, Pierre, you're the podcast series a French translator. What does court hose mean precisely? Well, in English, it means shorty pants. What? Shorty pants? Oh, oui, shorty pants. You know, he's very little and he wears the short pants. By the way, this bit is true. Check the chronicles. Young Henry and Rufus like to tease Robert, calling him shorty pants at every available opportunity. By the way, did I tell you that Rufus had bright red hair? In return for being called shorty pants, Robert called Rufus carrot top and made merciless fun of his red hair. And now I must tell you about one seminal moment pertaining to excrement, or should I say poo, and that was the incident of the chamber pot. I think you will find that the chamber pot in question contains urine and not excrement. Well, as they might say in Scotland, that's a wee point. <laughs> anyway, picture the scene. In a castle in Normandy, Rufus and his brother, young Henry, were playing soldiers. They invited Robert to join in. Hey, shorty pants, you want to play with us? Don't call me that name. You know I don't like it. It's Carrot Top. Look, I don't need to play your silly war games. I'm a real warrior, not a pretend fighter. You're just a scaredy cat, really. How, how dare you? How dare you call me a scaredy cat? In the 11th century, to be called a scaredy cat was highly offensive. Henry's right, you know. You are just a scaredy cat. Scaredy cat, indeed. Everyone knows I'm a fighter and not a quitter. Listen, Carrot Top. If you want to apologise to me, I'll be in the banqueting hall just below this balcony. And so Robert went down to the hall beneath the balcony. Meanwhile, Rufus and Henry planned a trick. They spotted a nearby chamber pot that was full. 
the boys decided to throw the contents of the pot from a high balcony onto the head of the hated brother, Robert. Ah! What was that horrible yellow liquid? <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say you've been taking a piss. Literally. We call it urine. Sweet urine. Well, you haven't heard the last about this. Wait till Papa hears about this. <laughs> William the Conqueror arrived on the scene. What's going on? Rufus and Henry, they poured a piss pot all over my head. Oh, is that all? A case of harmless japes. I always say boys will be boys. What? what? You're not going to punish them? You do know that I have a small to medium-sized army of my own that I am prepared to use it against you, Father. You haven't heard the last of this. I declare rebellion against you, Papa. And with that, Robert walked off to prepare for war against his father. His brothers, Rufus and Henry, were left behind him. They discussed his departure. Where's Robert gone? He said something about going to Flanders to prepare for war. What? He's gone off to stay with the well-known cartoon character? Yeah, that's right. In fact, this was not a reference to The Simpsons. Flanders was a region in what is now Belgium, and it was there that Robert Shortypants went to plot his revenge against his father. His mother, Queen Matilda, secretly supported him and sent him money and other treats. Ultimately, the armies of the Conqueror and his son Robert met in battle, although they did not recognise each other on the battlefield. Robert managed to knock his father off his horse. Oh, damn you! I, I'd recognise that voice anywhere. Papa, is, is that really you? Of course it bloody is. Damn you, impotent child. Stop your horsing around. Of course it's me. Oh, so sorry. These things, they do happen. Robert and his father remained on bad terms until Queen Matilda stepped in and arranged a reconciliation. Two kitchen maids were busy pummeling pumpkins at the royal court in preparation for the evening meal when they were disturbed by a fanfare. The detail about the pumpkins may be incorrect as they had not been introduced to Europe at this time. Check the chronicles. What was that? Sounds to me like the trumpet of reconciliation. What's one of them? Well, it's the official trumpet they used before an arbitration meeting. Oh, makes sense. Let's go and have a look, shall we? I'm tired of pummeling pumpkins. Oh, look! It's Queen Matilda, along with her rebellious son, Robert, and her husband, King William the Conqueror. Look, the Queen is about to speak. Welcome, welcome everybody to this arbitration meeting. As you probably know, I am not only the Queen of England, but I am a trained arbitrator with accreditation from NACAS. What the hell's NACAS? It's the Norman's Advisory Conciliation and Arbitration Service, established to resolve peacefully any disputes between leading members of the ruling Norman fraternity. I reckon you'd have to be good at arbitration and reconciliation. What with having William and Conqueror as your husband? Psst! Quiet! Look! The king is about to speak. Well, Matilda, dear, I'm the king, and I'm not sure I believe in arbitration and peaceful compromise. I've always found extreme violence a better way of solving any disagreements. Yes, there's a lot to be said for war. Uh, no, 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 that's, that's very old-fashioned. Now, look, do be quiet so we can get on with the meeting. Good practice dictates that we should first share the objectives of the arbitration meeting. Why is she holding a marker pen? And what's that whiteboard for? I think we're about to find out. 
Scribe, the whiteboard, please, and uh, kindly identify the objectives of the meeting. How do you spell objectives? Does it have a K in it? Enough of this! Haven't you forgotten I'm illiterate? And by the way, a picture is always worth a thousand words. Yes, William, that's a good point. I had forgotten that, like many medieval rulers, you, uh, my husband, are illiterate. Um, Scribe, please cross out the writing and just draw an appropriate picture instead. Why have you drawn a picture of two stickmen holding hands, one wearing a crown? Well, my lord, that is meant to represent your reconciliation with your son, Robert, which is the objective of the meeting. Oh, fair enough. Proceed. The meeting ended amicably, as Matilda explained. Well, I'm very pleased to say that the meeting has ended amicably. Robert? Oh, yes, Mama. You've been brought back into the fold. Oh, great news. And as a reward, the King has ordered that you should undertake a possibly lethal expedition to Scotland, because the Scots must be defeated and subjugated to England. Most people expressed enthusiasm for the idea of the subjugation of the Scots, except for one random nobleman who piped up. But won't that create resentment that might ripple down through the generations, causing irreconcilable harm to the Union of Britain? Oh, oh, oh no, I don't think so. The, the Scots will soon come to terms with English dominance. And so it was that Robert was sent north. On his way to Scotland, he stopped to build a castle on the banks of the River Tyne. Robert spotted a passing peasant. Oh, you, passing peasant. Uh, what, what should we call this new castle on the banks of the River Tyne? Well, Wellmond, I don't know. Maybe Newcastle? And so it was that Newcastle was created. This bit is actually true. Check the chronicles. May I interject? Ghost of Rufus here. Enough focus on Robert. There's a distinct lack of focus on me in this script. Please move to the bit where I become king. Oh, very well. It was 1087, a fateful year for William the Conqueror. As he approached old age, William became extremely fat. The French king sent him an insulting message. Hey, Big Willie, rumour has it you're too fat to do any more fighting. The Conqueror was very displeased. What? How dare he? I'll show him whether I can still fight. Oi, you, help me get on this horse. Having difficulty with my pommel. Just for clarity, in case you're not familiar with horses, the pommel is the protruding pokey bit at the front of the saddle. The problem is your stomach, my lord, it's huge. How dare you get me on this horse? This was indeed a fateful moment. William was indeed too fat to get on his horse, and after a brief struggle with his pommel, he fell off. 
fatally injuring himself and causing him to die. This bit is broadly true. Check the chronicles. The king was dead, so who would succeed him? Robert, Rufus, or Henry? Ghost of Rufus here! I think I can shed some light on the situation. Looking back, the last years of my father's life were a low point for me. Because Robert, now reconciled with that new castle of his, was in pole position to succeed my father. I hid away in an unknown castle and wrote my memoirs in the form of a scroll, which I entitled Superfluous because I felt unnecessary. Not the air, but a spare, if you will. I arranged a scroll launch at a well-known London bookshop. Welcome everybody! Welcome everybody! William Rufus says welcome! Who the hell is that? Oh, that's the town crier of London. Rufus hired him to provide the PA. What's the PA? Oh, you know, the public address system. And this was the forerunner of the PA system that we know today. And it functioned without electricity. Yes, welcome one and all. Welcome one and all! What's that terrible feedback? I can't hear myself speak. What's that terrible feedback? Rufus can't hear himself speak. Oh yeah. What do you mean, oh yeah? I didn't say that. He didn't say, oh yeah. I just heard that bit. Security, remove the sound crier. Security, remove that. No, wait, wait a minute. You, you, you can't do that. You, you haven't heard the last of this. Now, where was I? Let me tell you something about the scroll I'm launching today. My intention is to share with my readers some of the pain of regularly being called Carrot Top. I must warn you, it includes references to fornication in a field behind a public house and broken dog bowls and drug abuse. A group of monk chroniclers were gathered with their quills poised. I'll take a few questions from the assembled monks. First question, let me see. I'll take it from William of Malmesbury. Your father, the king, is rumoured to have asked you and your brothers to stop squabbling with the words, Please, boys, don't make my final years a misery. Is this true? And will your new scroll help your relationship with the king? Well, it's a good question, but I always say sunlight is the best disinfectant. What's a disinfectant? Did they have them in the Middle Ages? At that moment, a messenger arrived. (sighs) Messenger here, coming through. Sire, I am a messenger from Normandy. I have an important message. It had better be very important, as I was about to launch a scroll. Your father, William the Conqueror, is dead, and with his dying breath, named you Rufus, and not Robert as the next King of England. (gasps) Robert gets to be Duke of Normandy, and Henry gets nothing other than £5,000. This was indeed what had transpired. Okay, I've got some breaking news for you chroniclers. Hold the front scroll for tomorrow's edition of your chronicle. I've just been informed that I am now the new king of England. Ironically, my new scroll has now become superfluous and consigned to the dustbin of history, which is probably where it belongs. Three cheers for the new king! Hip hip! Hooray! Hip hip! Hooray! Hip hip! Hooray! And what is your first policy as king? I decree that any prejudice towards people with red hair is forbidden 
and will be punished with the most severest penalties. No one else with ginger hair in the royal family will ever be mocked again. Will your edict apply for all time, your majesty? Yes, it will. Yes, it will. Parallels! Parallels! What's that? It's the town crier of London, your majesty. He's escaped from security. Yes, and I have two things to say. First, I prophesy that there are parallels between these historic events and future times. Second, I need to make the following important statement. Aye, aye, aye. Rufus was now in charge. In addition to his edict on red hair, his policies were mostly vanity projects. Despite the absence of a viable business case, he constructed two high-speed cart tracts, known as HS1 and HS2. The first linking London to Normandy and beyond. The second between London and York, as part of his disastrous so-called levelling-up agenda. He built Westminster Hall, the largest building in Europe, as a place for large-scale banqueting and comedy nights, with the leading stand-up jesters from all over England and Normandy. Rufus personally acted as compare at the comedy shows. Welcome, welcome everybody to Friday Night at Westminster Hall. Are you ready for some justice? Yay! I can't hear you. I said, are you ready for some justice? Yay! Okay, tonight we've got a very special guest. Put your hands together for Jasper the Jester. Yay! Uh, well, thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen and fellow jesters. Uh, well, I saw something strange the other day. I was I was at this battle, and there was an octopus fighting right in front of me. So I said I said to a nearby peasant, "What's with the octopus?" And he said, "He's here because he's so well armed." Oh, I love that guy. And after the show, Rufus invited Jasper back to the Tower of London for a few drinks. Great set, Jasper. Maybe you'd like to unwind back at my place. I think it's wine time Friday. Eh, well, I'd like that very much, Your Majesty. Very much indeed. Rufus liked to surround himself with good-looking young men. A mix of knights, squires and jesters. They partied hard. And to the horror of the monk chroniclers, they wore fashionable clothes and very pointy shoes. The king's relationship with Jasper developed. Oh, Jasper, you're such a laugh. Oh, I know, and, I, and you know what? You're such a monarch. They enjoyed each other's company, and they became inseparable, if you will. More than this, I cannot say on a family show such as Buffoons of History. Meanwhile, the bishops were becoming increasingly shocked by his lifestyle. Rufus was already in the bishop's bad books because he took very little interest in church services and made his views clear when forced to attend. Boring! Boring! When is this incessant chanting going to end? Don't I know I've got a date with Jasper? Finally, the patience of the bishop snapped. They became obsessed with what they called the debauchery of the king. Let's listen to the bishops in conversation. Debauchery. Rufus. King. Debauchery. That jester. One of a myriad. Yes, but the final straw. The final straw of debauchery. They summoned the king to a court of debauchery. Archbishop Anselm, 
who was possibly Italian in origin, called the court to order. The court of debauchery is called to order. Aye, aye, the court of debauchery is called to order. It's him again. The town crier of London was once again removed by security. Now, where was I? Bring in the first witness, the King's advisor on communications and the chronicles, Lady Allegra. Now, were you present in any wild drunken parties at Westminster Hall? Uh, no, no, Archbishop. The, the fictional parties of which you speak, they were, they were business meetings. Some cheese and wine were consumed, but they were definitely business meetings. Quiet, quiet. Uh, can you have the cheese and wine at a business meeting? Or does the presence of cheese confirm it was a party? Well, I think it all depends where the cheese comes from. Was there any glass to there? Well, look, I, I don't know for sure. I, I wasn't actually there at the party. I had to go home. Were all the ladies sent home? No, no, some remained, as they were ladies-in-waiting. See, that makes sense. Thanks, Lady Allegra. I call the next witness, King William Rufus. So, Your Majesty, thanks for attending this court of debauchery. You face serious charges of general debauchery and specific debauchery. Let the charges be declared. You stand accused of the following. Consumption of copious amounts of wine and ale by you and your entourage, who were mostly jesters of a male kind. <gasps> Indicted! You were also accused of widespread sexual activity with jesters, exclusively male, and in particular, one known as Jasper. <gasps> Indicted! Jasper was present and waved. That's me! I'm a celebrity! Other jesters were present and cheered. Quiet, quiet. Who will let all those jesters in? Clear the court of the jesters. Well, uh, Your Majesty, how do you plead? Well, on the first allegation of copious alcohol serious partying, guilty as charged. Guilty as charged. I didn't know it was a crime to have fun. My motto has always been, work hard, play hard. Hmm. Now, if the court could turn to the briefing scrolls, vellum 54, appendix G, you will see a manuscript drawing by one of the court chroniclers showing the king and various jesters imbibing large quantities of wine. Is this an accurate depiction of you and the so-called friends? Yes, it is, but I always say, having a good time ain't no crime. And on the second charge of sexual encounters with jesters, plural, and one in particular, I believe his name is Jasper. What is your plea? Not guilty. <gasps> so you would deny the eyewitness evidence in scrolls. For the court, I refer you to Vellum 62, Appendix A, where you will see Jasper and the king in a compromising position. Quiet, quiet. So you deny you had sex with Jasper? I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that jester. I never told anybody to lie. Not a single time. Never. These allegations are false. I need to get back to working for the people of England. 
Whatever the back found. Well, uh, Your Majesty, as you know, as Archbishop, one of my responsibilities is to be head of the Crown Prosecution Service with a duty to prosecute anyone wearing a crown who had broken the rules. We find you guilty of all charges and suspend you as a king. I appoint your brother Robert as interim king. Police, surrender your crown. You got to be joking, Archbishop. I insist you give your crown. You and whose army? I don't accept your authority, Archbishop Alstom. By the way, the Crown Prosecution Service doesn't prosecute the crown. It prosecutes on behalf of the crown. And in case you haven't noticed, I'm wearing the aforementioned crown. Now you're quibbling. I think you'll find I'm not quibbling. I'm deadly serious. Guards, remove the Archbishop. Well, good riddance. I think I've shown who's in charge around here. For me, in the game of life, as in the game of chess, the king is the most powerful player. But that's not true. The queen is the most powerful piece in chess. Yes, but I'm not married, so it's not relevant. At the moment, there is no queen. The absence of a queen is duly noted. People at the back of the court found it difficult to hear and mistakenly thought that the clock of the court had said... The absence of Queen Julie is noted. Soon the rumour spread that the king had secretly married one Queen Julie. Whispering spread throughout the land. Have you heard about Queen Julie? Yes, that's a turn up for the books. I thought he was gay. Three years later, there was no sign of Queen Julie, and a growing realisation that her existence was the result of erroneous rumour. Hello? Ghost of Rufus here again. Who's that person, Erroneous Rumour? It's a cool name. Is he a jester? I'd like to meet him. Oh, never mind. I think we should move on. So, the years passed by, and Rufus divided his time between partying with jesters in London and hunting in the New Forest. There were, of course, two other brothers who were jealous, plotting, vying for the crown, Robert and Henry. All three brothers continued to get on badly. Robert got tired of waiting for his next chance for the crown. He opted to go on crusade to Palestine. Henry, the youngest brother, had a different plan. He mysteriously decided to cross from Normandy and visit England. Henry wanted the crown. Rufus stood in his way. Henry and his chief adviser, Walter Tyrrell, began plotting a little accident. Well, that's all news to me. I didn't know any of this when I was alive. Robert was in London to begin his trip to the Middle East. Henry also travelled to London to do some serious plotting with Tyrrell. By a strange coincidence, the paths of the two brothers crossed, the high-speed cart station at the Church of St Pancras. Is that you, Robert Shorty Pants? What are you doing here? Well, I'm just about to spend a few years away from here on crusade. Oh, good idea, Shorty Pants. There'll be very, very little happening round here for a while, with Carrot Top in charge. So you are well out of it on an interesting but dangerous journey to Jerusalem with a high probability of death through banditry on the way and battling when you get there. The station was busy with many announcements. The next car to the crusade will be leaving soon on platform one. Please leave the car if you do not intend to travel. Super saving tickets are not valid on this car. A bubbling service of drinks and light refreshments will be available. The quick change is greatly appreciated. The quick change greatly appreciate. Thank you. Oh, I better go. That's my cart. 
With Robert out of the way on the Crusades, Henry had an opportunity to do some serious plotting against Rufus. It was the morning of the 5th of August, 1100. Rufus and Henry were staying together at Winchester. They were supposed to be going hunting as normal. Rufus and Henry met for breakfast. Oh, I had a terrible dream. I had a premonition of my death, so I'm not going hunting. Oh, nonsense. You must go. It's all been organised. Now eat your breakfast. You know how much you like eggs and soldiers. Oh, I suppose you're right. Where's Tyrrell? We're going to dress him up as a decoy deer. It's a new hunting technique. I'll go and see how he's getting on. Henry went out and met up with his fellow conspirator, Walter Tyrrell. Okay, Tyrrell, you remember the plan? Oh, yes, boss. I wear this inflatable stag suit and play the part of a decoy deer. I stand in a prominent position with a bow and arrow hidden nearby. King William Rufus will ride nearby. A real stag will appear and the king will try to shoot him. At that moment, I shoot the king dead. With your brother away on crusades, you can seize the crown and I become your deputy. Well, we'll see about the last bit, but yes, that is the general plan and I hope that is clear to all our listeners. Well, who are the listeners? Oh, never mind. The hunting party proceeded and Tyrrell took up his position. But as Rufus and Henry rode towards the forest, they spotted some peasants who were cooking. Well, finally, after years of toil and strife and a diet made up exclusively of leaves and berries, we got to eat some eggs. Yes, I can't wait to make sure the yolk is running on my egg. What are you doing, peasants? Oh, just poaching. Arrest them. They're poachers. Hunting is only for royalty. No, your majesty. We're just poaching eggs in this little pot. Ah, poached eggs. Pass them to me immediately. Ah, well. It looks like it's back to roots and berries for us. Come on, Rufus. We need to go hunting. Now, Rufus, make sure you're near the decoy so that you can get a good shot when the stag appears. Good idea. Thanks, Henry. You're very welcome. That's it. You're in exactly the right position. Those were the noises, first of Tyrrell's arrow, and then Rufus being hit in the neck. He let out a cry of pain, and shot his own arrow, and struck Tyrrell. Papoo! Ow! Oh no, I've been shot, I'm dying! Oh, what a shame! Get into the hospital in Winchester, quickly! I've been shot too! Tyrrell had indeed been shot, although he was not badly injured. My stag suit, it's deflating! <laughs> Henry was amused by this. A case you could say of stagflation. Henry, who took a keen interest in economic matters, thought the word stagflation had potential. Hmm, stagflation could be a useful term for describing a combination of stagnant economic growth and inflation. And so this important concept entered the lexicon. Check the chronicles on this one. At this point, Rufus was alive, but only just. He's too fat, my lord. We can't lift him. Oh, that's better. Oh no, we've dropped him. Lift again. These were the last words Rufus uttered on this earth. Yes, and it was at this point I became a ghost due to my death. Right, now I'm a ghost. I can take over as the full-time narrator. Oh, that won't be necessary. The play's almost finished. What? I'm just about to get into my stride as narrator. Well, it's too late. You should have died earlier. After the murder of Rufus, his murderer, Henry, was crowned as King Henry I. 
He ruled for many years and tried to hand over his crown to his daughter Matilda. But that's a totally different story. Buffoons of history. Loosely based upon the facts. Famous for their silly acts. Listen to me as I tell to thee. Tales of the buffoons of history. A ridiculous beyond comprehension. Definitely worth a mention. Listen to me as I tell to thee. Tales of the buffoons of history. Tales of the buffoons of history. Written by Tony McAlevey and Dan McAlevey. Voices from Toby James, Tony McAlevey and Dan McAlevey. Music written by Tony McAlevey and Dan McAlevey. Produced and edited by Toby James and Dan McAlevey. Sound effects obtained from zapsplat.com.